said, or maybe Matt said, Scott was going to say without further ado and then introduce me. And I said, wow, I don't know that I've ever been further ado <laughs> Like, that's something. Like, when you get up and somebody says without further, that means you're like, so listen, we need to lower the expectations, okay? <laughs> Start off kind of high. We're going to bring them down just a little bit. Um, like Scott said, I am the, uh, the lead chaplain, the senior chaplain of the Elkhart Police Department. My name is Jason Brooks. I know many of you, and there's some, uh, quite a few that I don't know, um, but thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and listening to me. I know it was put out there last week, so I'm surprised anybody showed up, but again, thank you. Um, this morning, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my journey. I'm going to take time just to share how I got to where I'm at, how our family got to where we're at, and then I'm going to just explain to you what I do as a chaplain for the police department. Many of you might know, many of you might not know. And then I'm going to challenge us. I'm going to challenge us from the word. So here's my first question for you. Are you ready? Six of you. Good. Thank you. We'll get there. Towards the end, we'll all, we'll all be there. Um, hey, so my family is here this morning. We've been going to this church for about 19 years. This year is our 19th year of attendant pathway. Um, that is my beautiful wife next to me, and then obviously our kids on the, on the right there. Ryan will graduate this summer. My daughter just uh, finished up her second year at North Point Bible College. And can I just say real quick, I'm going to share a lot of stuff this morning. And I want you to realize, the one person that has been there, I'm not going to cry because I don't cry. <laughs> the one person that has been there through every single thing is the lady sitting next to me. We celebrate 25 years this summer of marriage. Um, and I, I will tell you this, and most will, will understand, um, most men will understand, when you have a supportive wife, you feel like you can take on the world and you can do anything. And I wanna thank her for the support that she's given. Listen, we didn't necessarily sign up for ministry. Um, I, I told you we've been married for 25 years. Straight out of high school, I went in the trailer factory. Literally graduated Friday, Monday morning. I was a holiday rambler. About a year, spent 13 years at Dutchman Manufacturing. We didn't think that we'd be in ministry. Um, God began to work on our hearts, uh, especially on my heart, because the first three or four years of our marriage was horrible. Um, no, no doubt about it. It was me. I was selfish. I was prideful. Uh, I treated her rudely. There's a scripture in Ephesians that says, men, don't, don't treat your wives harshly. Don't be harsh with your wife. The Holy Spirit convicted me of that big time, and I began to say, I, I need to do something different. I wasn't challenging myself. I wasn't being challenged. So we began to look for uh, another church, and we found this church. Interestingly enough, before this church started, Scott came to me and asked if me and Sarah would want to be a part of this church launch, and I looked at him. I said, nope. I didn't give the Christian answer and say, ah, I'll think about it, and I'll pray about it. I said, no, I don't want to be a part of it. You see, Scott and I grew up together, best friends, still close, great friends to this day. And I knew he would challenge me. And at the time, I didn't want to be challenged. I was comfortable exactly where I was. Uh, I was attending church. I was not living the life I needed to live. When Sarah got pregnant with Jade, I began to think, I don't want to be the dad that is different on a Sunday than he is the rest of the week, if you guys know what I'm saying. So we, we, we came here. Long story short, we spent 13 years here during that, excuse me, 19 years here, 13 years on staff. Um, this, that's a story in its own as far as how God called me to that, but I was on the leadership team at the time, and the, the staff and the elders began talking about adding a pastor. Again, I'm working at Dutchman. And I began to think to myself, that would be pretty cool to be on staff here. So I began to pray about it. I'm like, God, that would be pretty cool. Listen, 
I didn't fall before the Lord on my face. I didn't. I, I didn't cry out to him day and night. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I didn't. For six months, I just said, God, that'd be cool. What do you think, God? You know, just kind of, I don't know, kind of crazy. Um, I was coming home from work. Those of you that are in the trailer factory, that was, it was one of those 8.30 a.m. days. That don't happen no more or what? Uh, now, I, you know, got there at quarter to four, but, you know, down around 8, 8.30, had breakfast with Scott. The way Scott tells it, he said, Lord, if this is just a couple friends talking, you know, pastor and elder, you know, leadership team member talking about stuff, awesome. If it goes a different direction, then so be it. It went a different direction. He said, hey, what do you think, what would you ever think about being a pastor? Specifically here at Pathway with what we've been talking about, I'm like, I'm like, listen, I've been thinking and praying about that for six months. I didn't tell Sarah, I didn't tell anybody. And Scott said, we've been praying and thinking about it for six months. I've been talking with the other elders, with the other pastors, with his, his mentor. And at the end of the conversation, he's like, what's stopping you? I'm like, well, two things. Money, because I knew what we were able to pay a pastor. I knew what I was making at Dutchman. So I said, money and my wife. I haven't said anything to her. I can't just be like, yeah. We're he's like, all right, go home and talk to your wife. We'll go from there. It was summertime. I, I remember she was outside. We were, she was actually in the pool with the kids. I'm like, hey, what would you think about me being pastor at Pathway? She goes, I, I think it makes sense. She goes, I know there's more in you. And nothing wrong with being the trailer factor. I was there for 13 years as, as, as group leader, as line leader, as, as just on the line. But, but we both knew God had something more for me. So from that point forward, we came on staff. We spent 13 years here. And then within that time, Scott began to challenge us as a staff. I know Matt was on at the time. Um, and we've talked here about serve here and serve there, right? Get involved here and serve here. Get involved in the community. Scott challenged us to get outside of these walls and serve in the community. And I said, okay. So I got connected with an organization called DreamsWork. DreamsWork did inner city um, mentorship to, to kids in Elkhart, specifically through Hawthorne. So I had a, a young kid that I was mentoring. The leader of that organization's name is Jim Bontrager. Jim Bontrager um, is, is still a chaplain at Elkhart City Police Department. He was a senior chaplain at the time. So him and I began to form this relationship, and he said, hey, have you ever thought about being a police chaplain? I said, no. He said, I think he'd make a good one. I said, I'm not interested. So for about a year or so, he kind of kept on me. I remember we went out to lunch, and he said, just give it a try. Just go on. I'll set up a ride-along, go on a ride-along. I'm like, okay, I'll go on a ride-along. I loved it. I loved it. I, I did a midnight one with, a, with an officer that's still on to this day. Um, now, I didn't realize I didn't have to stay the whole shift from 11 till 7 a.m., and I remember this. At 10 a.m., I was meeting my brother to go kayaking with our kids. I'm like, this is nuts. I, at 7 a.m., I'm getting home, and we're leaving in like three hours. But I loved getting to know the individual I rode with. Now, at that point, there wasn't a lot of real deep conversation because as I'll explain here in a little bit, it takes a while for officers to trust anybody. Um, but I loved the opportunity just to be there. I loved hearing things. I loved the opportunity to know that at any moment, something could change. Uh, any moment that the whole day, the whole night could change. And so I began to serve as the chaplain, uh, one of the chaplains in 2012. Um, and as I, as I continued to serve, Scott began to see a passion and a call in my life, be, probably more so or before I did. And we would talk about it. Uh, we would talk about it even at yearly reviews. Here as I'm on staff, and, and he says, hey, do you ever feel a, you know, a bigger call? I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know. Well, in um, November of 2019, the beginning of two, November 2019, Jim came to me. We were at a, a briefing at the PD, afternoon briefing, and they were done with it, giving everybody their assignments. And he said, hey, could you meet me and the assistant chief in his office? I, we have something we want to ask you. 
And I knew what it was. Because Jim had been talking about he's kind of in a good way getting pulled out because he's speaking so much. Matter of fact, he's gone right now uh, in D.C. But he speaks all over the United States to officers and chaplains and does training with them. And he's like, somebody eventually is going to need to replace me in the leadership role. He's still on as chaplain. So he took me in the office and asked me, would you, be con- you, know, would you consider this? And I say, yeah, I'll consider it. So I went home, talked to Sarah. She goes, yep, makes sense. I said, well, you know, I need to run it by Pastor Scott. Ministry is a big deal, right? Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts in it. So going into ministry and being the lead chaplain versus a chaplain is a big deal. So Scott and I talked about it. I told you I've known Scott for a long time. He said, hey, he said, you're getting ready to go on vacation in November. Why don't you kind of just take a break and let, we don't have to make a decision. Let's pray about it. Let's think about it. We'll come back and talk when you get back. And I think I might have told Sarah this. I'm thinking, I don't think he's crazy about this, which was not in his character. Like that didn't seem right. I'm like, ah, I don't know. We come back. We go out to lunch. We're sitting across from each other. He said, hey, let me ask you this. What's stopping you from doing this full time? And in my brain, brain, I'm going back like, what, 13 years prior to that as we were sitting at Essen House. This time we were sitting somewhere else. Uh, 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 doesn't matter. We, we, I was eating a burger. I know that. Because <laughs> I was talking a lot, and I'm like, this burger's going to get cold. And, um, where's it going? So... He asked me what's stopping me. I said, two things. And what do you think those two things were? Money and Sarah. I, I hadn't said anything to Sarah about, about this full, you know, doing full time. Let me help you understand something. The, the chaplaincy at the police department is volunteer. They're, they're, they weren't offering me a job. This wasn't for pay. This was just taking over the leadership of the chaplaincy program, which we'll talk about here in a second. And Scott said, listen, I, I see the passion. And, this, and he said, and guys and gals, listen, we have an amazing pastor here and wife Scott and Megan lead well. They're not perfect, right? But I can tell you they have the heart for this church, for this community, for you, for your family, for your relationships, and specifically for your relationship with God and how he's called you to serve and what he's called you to do. And we honor him for that. And, and, and I honor this church as a body saying, yes, take a break. Take a break. Come back refreshed, renewed, and continue to serve alongside us, continue to lead us. And at that moment he said, I don't want myself you know, me and Megan, the, the church doesn't want to stop you from what God's calling you to, right? And he said, what is holding you back from it? And I'm like, nothing. Outside of, you know, money. And, and, and so, so I went home, talked to Sarah. We're like, okay, I, I think this is how God's directed us. And I can tell you this, Sarah saw this. Sarah saw a change coming long before I did. Um, and, and guys, listen. And I'm telling you, listen to your wives. Listen to them. Uh, sometimes they're, all the time they're, have your, listen to your wives. <laughs> so as, 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 as time went on, we deven- began to develop a plan, and obviously you know in, gosh, I think maybe it was the summer of 2020, um, whenever, yeah, I think that was it. when I kind of got released of duties here. The church blessed me for a little while on uh, financially to help me get started. Pathway still supports me uh, monthly as a missionary. But I began to go into this role as, as senior chaplain um, at, at the police department. And um, I, I will tell you, it was hard even leading up to it. But, in, in I, but I, I saw it, like I told you, Sarah saw it coming. I saw it coming. Um, in 2019, we were at a conference. It was myself, Scott, and I think Matt at the time. As a matter of fact, it was like a year ago right now. Oh, excuse me, uh, 19 and 20. What do you do the math? It was 2019 right now. 
And I was praying, it was, we had a worship service, and I, and I was praying, I was just thinking about this whole thing. And I don't journal a lot, there's nothing wrong with it, I just don't. But I got my phone out and I began to write notes what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying. And, and this is specifically, this is exactly what I wrote. It said, I sense it, a call to chaplaincy full-time. I fought it because I'm scared and because I'm comfortable with life right now. What if I was a U.S. home missionary as a chaplain? So the Assemblies of God has a U.S. home missionary department as, as U.S. home missionaries. I said, what if I was as a chaplain? And I didn't even know anything about it at the time. I'm just like, I don't know, it sounds right. I don't want to leave Pathway. I don't feel led to leave Pathway, so how does this work? Well, I will condense it really quick. I, I am currently a U.S. home missionary chaplain with Assemblies of God, and our family is at Pathway. There's a lot that happened between it, but God worked it out. And I say all that to say this. What are you dreaming about? What are you asking God for that you're a little scared? You're a little hesitant to take that step. And, and Matt hit it, man. The God of impossible. Ephesians 3.20 says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. It's not according to us. It's according to his power at work within us. When we allow him to work in us and through us, he begins to do things that we can't even imagine. Listen, do you understand that? Like, you're praying these things, and God's saying, yeah, you're here. I can do these things that you can't even imagine. Okay, well, I'll start imagining them. Too late, I'm already out here. You can't imagine this. Like, you can't get ahead of them, but it works when, 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 we, when, we, when we reserve ourselves to say, okay, God, you're in control. This isn't about me. This is about you. And that sounds all great and awesome, and we can clap and say amen, but you and I both know when you're in it, it's tough, okay? It's tough. But God says, I can, I can do it. I'm there, and I can do it. So in 2019, as I was asked to be the senior chaplain, I stepped into that role, and um, you know, currently that's what I'm doing as a, as a missionary. I raise funds to be able to do what I'm doing. God has been faithful, and, and he's gonna continue to, do, to, to be faithful. But as I look back on my life, and as you look back on your life, some important things happened. And one thing that God wants you to do is to grow right where you're planted. You know, sometimes we're so discontent with where we're at now. We're, I, I can imagine, because I'll put myself in that box, that, that, you know, check that box and say, okay, God, I'll do this for you if you just get me over here. And God's like, why aren't you doing it here? I'll give this if you, if you increase this. And God said, no, that's not how it works. I, I will talk to that individual. I'll, I'll share my story here if you only put me over here. And as I look back, I'm not bragging. You know, Paul says, that he's not bragging on himself, he brags on what God has done. And I look back at my time in the trailer factory, and I had instances where guys would come and, and say, hey, you go to church, what do you think about this? And I had the opportunity to share. I didn't shove it down their throats. I couldn't force them to do it. I just shared with them. I had instances uh, when I was on the, in the trailer factory, I did multiple part-time jobs from firefighting to coaching to laying carpet to roofing to landscaping to mowing, all this kind of stuff. And each one, I look back, and I'm like, God, you allowed me to grow right there. And trust me, there were times where I was not happy with where I was at. Like, God, what else? Like, what else? What else? But Luke 16.10 says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. The question is, was I faithful with what was in front of me? Are you faithful right now, today? Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you go to that job, are you faithful? You know, God says that you're not working for the man, you're working for Jesus. 
Are you putting forth your best effort to say, God, you put me here for a reason. And if, he, if, if God moves you on, be at peace with it. But don't move on out of discontent and think that you're going to do something better over here because this, this is it. No. God's saying right here, right here, right now, what are you doing? The right now for me is God has me at the police department as a chaplain. It's my responsibility to be faithful with it. And he's called me and he's equipped me to reach them in a, in a unique way. I mean, this is obviously a unique ministry. And here, here's the thing, you know, I, I will, I, often you hear missionaries say that they're going to an unreached people group. Well, police officers aren't unreached. I feel like police officers are hard to reach for many factors. And one of which I talked about earlier is a trust factor. They have a hard time trusting because of the things that they deal with. Right? Now, here's some instances, and these instances are true stories. I've been a part of it. Um, you pull somebody over, and you begin, they begin to question them, and, and they probably are doing, they're not probably, they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. So it kind of progresses, but, but sometimes the conversation is, well, this isn't my car. Uh, okay, this is you, this is your ID, this is your registration, this is the car that's registered, it's not your car, no, it's not my car. All right. So it kind of goes on to, well, we ask you to, they ask, you know, to get out of the car for the reasons that they have, right? To completely do it, you know, by the law, to get out of the car, and it progresses, well, now we're going to search you just for your safety mind, whatever. I find something in your pockets that's not supposed to be there, illegal. Ah, it's not mine. Okay. Gotcha. Not your car, not your stuff in your pocket. Nope. Uh, these are not your pants? No, they're not my pants. Listen, I was at, I, I've heard it. These are my pants. It's, it's a joke. I mean, honestly, I'm sure if you Google it, not my, you'll see plenty of YouTube videos. These aren't, my, these aren't even my pants. And we laugh about that, but listen to me. Think about that every single day. Lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. You know, police officers aren't called to find the one good thing, right, that's, that's going on. They're, tr they're called to find the bad things. They're trying to figure it out. They're called to a domestic where people are fighting. The, the stories aren't the same. They got to figure out who's lying. So they can go into situations differently than what you and I do. Because you and I probably think the best of somebody until they prove us otherwise. Officers, by safety, by nature of their training, by nature of their job, they think the worst of the situation so they can be prepared for it and act accordingly so they don't have to react. So you think about how that changes a perspective. So we talk about a trust thing. Matter of fact, I just rode Friday night. We arrested an individual. And in his conversation, he was the Messiah. I didn't know that. It was news to me. I, I, again, we laugh, but you think about that. What if your only conversation, your only understanding of who Jesus is, is the guy in the back of your squad car that you're arresting claims to be Jesus? What if then you have some trust? You know, it's hard for you to trust because of the situations that you deal with on a daily basis. So when I say that they're hard to reach, that's why. It's building that trust in order to enter their world in order to, to, to listen, in order to be able to be there for whatever it is. Officers have many of the same struggles we do, but they have some that I would call extraordinary. Do you realize in the course, a 20-year course of a, an officer's career, how many critical incidents that they deal with in that, in that career span of 20 years? There was a study done, and on average, it's 188. 188 critical incidents, and I can almost bet probably most of us haven't really experienced one that's on that list. I'm not saying you haven't been through a critical incident. I'm saying the level of what is on the list to be determined what a critical incident is for officers because of what they deal with is different than what we deal with. If we see a traumatic car 
uh, accident, like you're, maybe you're involved in it or you're there, that's a critical incident, right? That, that's something that's outside of your ordinary, right? It's, it's going to be on your mind. It's going to kind of mess with you a little bit. That's not on the list. I, I'm talking child deaths. I'm talking about gruesome murders and suicides. I, I'm talking about things from abuse of, of infants to abuse of adults that are imaginable. So they have 188 of these that they're dealing with. Again, that, on average, that builds up. So here's the question, what do I do? What, as, as police chaplains, what do we do? Well, I mentioned before Jim Bontrager, he's been there 19 years. He's done amazing work on creating what we call like a, a wellness program, psychological resilience program. Uh, this is an opportunity that we have to train officers on all levels. As a matter of fact, we take them from new hire to retire. Just this past Wednesday, we had two new hires, and the services department gives us as the chaplains a full day of training with these new officers. Now, this is, this is a, a faith-based curriculum, but it's a secular curriculum. I mean, we're taking them through stuff that's like, like they can't come in and say, well, you're, you're doing this, that, and the other. This is a history of law enforcement, a history of, of, of America and what it was founded on. The importance of the oath. Do you realize in, in every state constitution that it has God in it? It's mentioned God in it. There's like four that don't specifically say God, but they say like uh, almighty. The forefathers knew there was a foundation, and we take the officers through that. We help them understand the ups and the downs of the career and what it looks like for their family. We want to mitigate those 188 critical incidents. We want to be there for them. We want them to be as healthy as they can in their family and in their career when they leave there in 20 years and everywhere in between. And um, we host seminars for, and conferences for their spouses to help them understand things that are going on. I listed um, some of the stuff that they deal with that's kind of, kind of crazy, but we go through critical incident stress debriefing because, again, the things they see aren't ordinary. Let me explain to you a few. You see, it's not ordinary to see a three-year-old die from a gunshot wound and to hold that baby in your arms as the mom collapses in front of you with the child. It's not easy to see someone kill themselves in front of you, and your words are the last words that that individual hears. And you think, could I have said something different? Could I have done something different? It's not easy to see a, 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 a child so badly abused in every way imaginable from someone in their care with broken bones, broken spine, on life support until the mom gives the permission to take the baby off life support. That's not ordinary. It's not ordinary to have a mom stop by the police department, wanted out of Fort Wayne, has her two children in the back of the car, flags down an officer that's off duty, says, hey, I think you're the ones, I, I'm the one that you're looking for. What are you talking about? And I have my kids in the back seat. And both kids are slumped over because the mom killed them. You see, that's not ordinary. All these things have happened and many of them I've been a part of. And I've been able to be at some of them because of the giving that this church, individuals, give towards my ministry that I'm there instead of somewhere else. And listen, it's a big deal. It's a big deal what you're doing. It's a big deal that you give. It's a big deal that you pray for us. We have some, some prayer cards out at the welcome, so I encourage you, grab one. I don't care where you put it. I don't care if it falls between your seat or the couch cushion and three months you find it and it's got dog hair and gross stuff on it and you're like, ah, oh, I should pray for them. Do it. Clean your couch cushions a little better, but... But we lead those critical incident stress debriefings on issues like that. We're certified as, as chaplains. We're certified to lead it, again, to mitigate the issues that they deal with. 
One, one thing as well is I, I'm part of daily briefings. I, as a chaplain, you know, 7 a.m., 3 p.m., 11 p.m., I try to make some of them, not all of them. Um, but, but they'll do, you know, give the assignments, and they'll always ask, Chap, you got anything to share? They'll go th- through the whole line, and they'll give me the opportunity to share things. And oftentimes I will. Uh, and, and, and that just builds up relationship. And uh, we're used in death notifications and DOAs, so the officer doesn't have to deal with that side of it. We have the opportunity to minister to the family, to pray for the family. First and foremost, we're there for the officer. But secondary, we're there for the community. We're there to help them through their worst day of their life, some of which I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But it's their worst day. And how can I bring the hope of Christ into that situation? And how can that filter over to the officer that's there that they've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of times? I do weekly ride-alongs. One reason for a ride-along is I want to know what they experience. I want to enter their world. I want to I be a part of things that are happening and understand how they process it. And there's a ton of good conversation that happens in that. Um, I've done, um, you know, weddings for officers. I've got two coming up this summer. I've done funerals for their loved ones. Um, I, I, I've been able to enter their world. It's the best way I can say it, by just building relationships. Uh, we do a weekly Bible study for, uh, for officers um, in the morning. And I'm currently overseeing all, the officer wellness program, which includes uh, peer support. Uh, us as chaplains, um, we're trying to get mental health um, professionals involved in it. And I, they've looked to me to oversee that. I'm like, they asked me, I'm like looking behind. I'm like, I don't, you don't want me. I remember 13 years of trailer fact, I don't, this is not my. But God's given me favor because the opportunities that I've had to be there and specifically over the last couple of years to be there full time. Um, we, we recognize and honor and assist officers in, in various ways, whether it's cookouts or, or celebrations, whatever it is. This is, as chaplains, we just try to continually encourage them. Um, a couple things we don't do as chaplains. We don't shove faith down their throats. We don't tell them what to do. But what I found in the process of building relationships and in the process of conversation, they'll begin to talk and I'll ask them. I'm like, are you asking for my advice? And typically the answer is, yeah, chap, that's why I told you. I'm like, okay. I was like, my advice is going to be based on scripture and how I've experienced it. Are you all right with that? Yep. And then the conversation begins. Now, I don't say that to that same officer the next time I talk because we've established that, right? Um, but if it's a new officer we haven't talked, I'm like, hey, if you want my advice, I'll give it. But I'm not. And a lot of times we're just sponges. As chap- we just listen, right? We just help process things with them. Again, my goal is to build relationships with those officers to, to mitigate some of the stuff that they and some of the challenges that they have and and. My challenge to you is this. Are you building relationships with people in order to share Christ with them? Do you have relationships in your life that you're just praying for that opportunity to share Christ? Not shove it down their throats, right? But when opportunity presents itself, it may be somebody that you're at work with day in and day out. You're at school with day in and day out. You may may live with them, right? They may be a family member. But at what point are you asking God, God, will you give me the opportunity to share Christ? And if you're not, I encourage you to do so. Begin to think, who is it in your life? Begin to pray about that individual. You see, when I mentioned earlier that officers are kind of closed off, it's kind of a trust thing. I have a real life illustration of that. This was probably my second year on and I was with an officer riding and there was a fight at a bar and everything was taken care of and six or seven officers were standing outside um, in the parking lot around the squad just talking. 
right? The call's over. They're just kind of talking about it, whatever. And they were, they were standing in a circle, and there was a gap in the circle. And I, I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to step right up in this gap in the circle and talk. And I kid you not, and I wish I could remember who was on each end. Uh, I can't remember who the officers are now. But as I stepped in, they went like this. And I found myself on the outside of that circle. And I thought to myself, this is going to be interesting. Like this is, but I'll tell you now, because of the opportunity that I've had to be there, because of the, the trust that they've put in me, the relationships that are built, that I, 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 oftentimes, if that circle is closed and I walk up, it opens up, hey, chap, what's going on? You see, there's a difference. And, and, and the thing is this, as much as you might want to be there and, and impact these officers because you believe in what they're doing, you believe in the profession, you, you, don't, you don't have the relationship to do that. But what you do have is what you're already doing. The financial support, the prayer support, the opportunities that, that you, that what you've done for me as far as just connecting with me, texting me, calling me. I, I mean, to know that I have a church that supports what I'm doing is amazing. That circle is open because I've had opportunities to be there. And I, and I thank you. I thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing. I, I want to share one last story uh, before I get into some scripture and we, and we close out. And it kind of, uh, I was reminded of it last week when Retta was here. Last summer, um, there was a shooting that unfortunately killed a two-year-old child. The child was not the target. Unfortunately, the, the child was just in the way of the target, and that is what happened. Um, when that call went out, I was probably a half a mile from the scene. I was coming back from the police department from a meeting. And at that moment, um, the, one of the captains called me and said, hey, chap, I don't know if you heard, but we have an incident with a child. I said, yep, I heard. I'm on it. I'm on my way there. I, I got there before um, lots of officers. There were, there were officers that responded quickly, but some others that were coming weren't even there yet. I, I got there before some officers got there. When I pulled up, I saw what I learned later was the grandma and the mom of the child that got shot. Uh, and because of the nature of the injuries of the child, the, the mom and the Grandma were covered in blood. And I just went to where they were, and I just sat with them. And um, th there was an officer with them, and when I showed up, that officer then went to do what he needed to do, uh, part of which was clearing the house. The house hadn't been cleared. The, the area hadn't even been secured. But I wasn't anywhere in, you know, in that area to, to um, you know, mess that up. I, I you know, stood, stood, stood back with the family. I took care of the family, and I, um, you, you know, in my truck, I had some water and some towels, and I tried to clean them up. They had an, another infant child, like two or three months old, or maybe a little older, that was there as well. And one of the sergeants on scene said, hey, chap, can you go to such and such place and get, you know, clothes and diapers and towels and blankets and, and whatever this family needs? I'm like, that's a great idea. And I thought to myself, we're right down the road from Retta. And I, and I went into Retta, and I, I'm telling, I, I mean, this is one of the worst scenes that I've experienced. But I went into Red and, and they knew some stuff was going on because of all the, all the sirens. They said, we already been praying. I, I just shared a little bit with them because at that time, you know, obviously the information wasn't really out. Uh, and they were such a blessing. They gave me so much stuff. I had to go back a second time. And when I went back that second time, like, is there anything else you need? I'm like, can you just pray? And it was Joni that spoke last week. She was one of them that was there. And we just stopped and prayed. And, and I can tell you just the idea of knowing that there was believers there that knew what was going on here that was, was praying. Well, when, uh, if I back up just a second, when I initially got there, 
I told you I saw the family, but prior to seeing the family, I saw an officer in the road that I know very well. He was coming from the, the place where the, where the child was, and, um, but then they had transported. And as the officer was coming down the road, I could see the look in his eyes. And the only way I can explain it, explain it is this, this just um, righteous anger. This idea of justice needs to, to happen. We need to find who did this to this child. And I walked up to him, and he was on a mission, no doubt, going back to his squad. And I just put my hand on his back. And I, I, I even, I don't know, even know if I knew I was praying, but I, I was praying with him. And the, way, the reason I know I did it is later on in that day, I connected with that officer, and he said, hey, chap, I knew you were back there. I can tell you everything that you prayed. And I'm able to do that because of people that give to help me be there. Because this was during the day. Otherwise, I would be at, at a different job. I would be doing something where I wasn't available. And, you know, sometimes you have no idea the impact that you have on people. And I know I'm sharing my story. But here's the thing. The challenge is, what is your story? What, what are you doing? Who are the people in your life? And listen, this is coming from a person that I had no clue this is where I would be. I didn't, I didn't think God would use me for this. And, and I give credit to him, not me. But my challenge to you is, where are you at with that? What's God doing? Let me share a scripture with you, um, and we're going to close out with this. I, I've said that a few times because I'm seeing if you're paying attention. Because we're really not closing just yet. But uh, Turn to Luke 19, or I believe uh, we have it up on the screen there. This is the story of Zacchaeus. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to explain a little bit. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, we all know the Sunday school. You can... Sing it if you want to. You can make fun of me because I'm short and Zacchaeus was short. I get it. Ha ha, funny. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and back then tax collectors were shady, right? They would take more money than what was needed and keep it for themselves. Uh, and everybody knew it. Verse 5 says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So here's my question for you. When have you looked at somebody, when have you been involved with somebody, talking with somebody, know somebody, and you felt like you must? Because he says, I must stay at your house. I must hang out with you. Because Jesus saw a need. Jesus saw an opportunity to build a relationship, though maybe short, right? Because it, it, I don't know if it says it in here, but doesn't the song say he went there for tea? Is that true? Who knows? It's not, I don't think. It's not in here. He said, I went down immediately. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to the guest of a sinner. Jesus, what are you doing? You're hanging out with this rotten scumbag. What is wrong with you? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here I am, and I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times an amount. Zacchaeus was making things right with Jesus. Jesus told him, today salvation has come to your house. We don't really know what happened in that conversation but I can tell you something happened significantly enough, which would be Zacchaeus recognized Jesus for who he is, asking him to forgive him of his sins and accept him as a savior for Jesus to say, salvation has come to you and your household. 
So when's the last time you thought, I must do this? And men, can I challenge you for a second? It said here that because of Zacchaeus' faith, salvation came to his whole household. Guys, there's a responsibility on us to serve the Lord. There's a responsibility on, on us to, as we lead our home, to lead it the best that we know how. God's going to hold you accountable for what you know. So my, my, my challenge is, what do you know and what are you doing with it? Lead well, men. Your families will follow. You may not see it right away. And to be quite honest with you, you don't have control over the choices that they make, but you have control over the choices you make as men leading your home. And, and this is, if you want to talk to my wife afterward and ask her how perfect I am and how well that works, she'll tell you differently. There's a lot of apologies. There's a lot of I messed up. There's a lot of I'm sorry. But I want to lead this direction. Lead well. Allow, allow God to use you in your homes. Let's jump to Matthew chapter 9 because this is what we're setting up. We're seeing how Jesus built relationships to share who he was. That's, that's all he's doing. And that's what he expects us to do. He, he, he expects us to build those relationships in order to say, hey, this is who Jesus is. Matthew 9, 9 through 13 says this. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Interesting, another tax collector. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, goes, hangs out with Matthew, all of his friends, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. This is Matthew, this is who he's hanging out with, right? A lot of things didn't change in that, in that time frame, and so he went out and, and ate with the tax collectors. Verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 12 says, on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. That was the challenge many years ago that Pastor Scott gave us as a staff, as the pastors here. What are we doing outside of these walls, right? As we're discipling those in here, what are we doing out there? It's the same challenge to us today. What are we doing out there? How does it look? What does it look like? Because Jesus set the example of it. He just took time with people, right? And pointed them in the right direction. So where is it that you're bringing hope to the hopeless? Jesus is the hope, right? He came to restore relationships. Do you know that for officers... Statistically, officers are killed four times of the rate to suicide than they are to bad guys. And mainly through research, what drives that force is relationships that are broken down in their life. So think about this. We serve a God that sent his son Jesus to restore relationships, right? First and foremost, our relationship to Christ. Secondly, our relationship amongst each other. We serve a God that does that. I'm in a profession where that's an issue, right? That's, a, that's an issue, the, re, the breaking down of relationships. You're in, in community, you're in work, you're in your family. The relationships is an issue. If you've never had a, an issue with a relationship, raise your hand. Right? They're work. But Jesus, came, he said, I came to restore it. I came to bring hope to it. So who are you bringing hope to? You have the opportunity to do the same exact same, same exact thing that Jesus has showed us, same exact thing that I've discussed, 
You, and many of you are already doing it. Many of you could sit up here or stand up here and share stories of how God has used you with others. And you can probably share stories of how others have used, uh, have been used by, by God to touch you and to bless you. Because that's the way it works. He, he takes the, the crummy stuff and he makes it good, right? That's, the, that's like, that's seminary talk right there. He takes the icky and makes it good. <laughs> he has the opportunity to do that. So in closing, this is the real closing, and you're going to know it because I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So now you know I'm for real. In closing, I'd like to um, just share a, a few more quick scriptures with you. But scripture teaches us that the Lord allows us to go through, th through things for two reasons, to comfort us and so that so he can comfort us through those things and so that we can comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says this. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So how do we comfort others with the comfort we receive from God? We talked earlier, right, about it's God's work within us. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. So take the pressure off of your shoulders. This is not our burden to bear. This is just simply us being obedient to Christ and saying, God, you work through us. You allow your Holy Spirit to work through me. We all have a story. What's yours? Who do you share it with? And you may be thinking, you know what? Mine's pretty messy. I don't want to share it. You may be thinking, mine's not messy enough. It's not, very, it's not very powerful. I'm not messed up enough to have a story. Your story is what Christ has done in you. Your story is what he's kept you from. Your story is what he's delivered you out of. Your story is the, 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 how he's refined you through the fire. Your story is how he's sharpened you. Your short story is how in your weakness, you allowed God to be your strength. Your story is about that relationship that maybe never worked out and you don't get it, but you relied on him through it all. Your story may be something that you don't even want to discuss, but God's power is there and it's evident. And at the right time, you're going to use it to change a life. At the right time, you're going to use it and God's going to be used through you. Because he doesn't mess it up. We think he does. We think we have a better idea and a better plan. About 22 years ago, my dad passed away of cancer. I've shared this story before. He was 46 when he got sick and he died at 48. Can I tell you that was horrible? It, I doubted God. I told him he was wrong. But you know what? I had to work through it. And in Isaiah 55, it says that his ways and thoughts aren't our ways and thoughts because his are higher, his are better. And simply, I can just have to, I just have to sit back and say, God, you're smart and I'm dumb. But that's hard. But God uses that. He uses that to do incredible things. He uses that to define you and to refine you. Isaiah 61.3 talks about making beauty out of ashes, making something that looks like it's worthless. It's never going to amount to anything. It's burned up. It's dried up. It's going to blow away. It's done. It's over with. And God says, I'll make beauty out of that. I'll, I'll figure something out with that. 
don't carry that weight. God will use it. You see, I didn't know 20 years ago when I felt my marriage was collapsing that God would use it to minister to others. I didn't know 20 years ago when I was in the factory and feeling like maybe I had more to give, but God would use those relationships and that time and that experience to connect and to minister to others. I didn't know 20 years ago when my dad passed away that I would have the opportunity to be there with others on their worst day and show compassion because guess what? I got the t-shirt, I've been there. I can just sit there with you. I can just pray with you. I didn't know 20 years ago when I was on the volunteer fire department that I would get an understanding of the emergency services and get a little glimpse into it, build some relationships there that have lasted forever, that God would use that to this day. Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Wow, humility, that's tough. I, I pray that all the time. God, keep me humble. You know, Scott challenged us a few months ago. We did a series on worship. And I felt like I need to share this. And, and I hope it comes across the way I want it to. Worship keeps you humble. Worship reminds you of who he is. Matt said it well. It, it reminds us of God's place. Didn't you say, as, as far as prayer and worship, it reminds us of where he's at. And I want to challenge you men again. Worship. You see, worship isn't a weakness. I grew up thinking worship was a weakness. I grew up thinking that a relationship with Christ was weak. Because I had a dad that didn't serve God for a long time, and I saw who he was, and that was a man, right? That was, and he was a great father and a great husband. But he didn't start serving the Lord to, Lord to later in his life. And he only lived to 46, so we, you know, he didn't get to see a lot of it. But I learned really quickly, worship and prayer isn't weakness. Worship and prayer is strength. He says, in your weakness, I am strong. Do you remember Scott's message where he says, in the battle, the troops were led out by the choir, by those worshiping. Listen, I can stand up here and I can, I can tell you all the things that I've done that are manly, that, that make me a man, that make me appear to be strong. But the number one thing on top of the list is worship. Sunday mornings, you may see me over there and you might see me crying. I'll tell you because it's reminding myself of the goodness of God. I'm not telling you have to do it the way I do, but when I raise my hands, I feel like it's a kid coming to his dad. God, here I am. You know everything about me. You still love me. You still want me. Man, I'm challenging you. Step up your worship and see what it does. If, you, if your emotions get a hold of you crying, you'll see me over there. If, if you start looking now on Sunday morning to see if I'm crying around, I'm going to think you're weird, period. I don't even care. Not just here. What are you doing outside with worship? God uses you through that. I want to pray with you over two things. I'd just like to, for you to bow, bow your heads. As the worship team closes out and leads us in, in, in a song, I want you to pray these two prayers. And here's the, here's the question. What is God calling you to do that you're a bit scared to do? Earlier in this message, I said I was scared to step out. What is he calling you to do that you're scared? And I don't know what it is. It could be something in your relationship with your, your spouse. 
conversation or, or a change in, in something. It could be a job situation. It could be spiritual. I don't know. What, what are you holding back on? Begin to pray about that right now. You begin to take that to God. You begin to tell him. He already knows it, but he says, I want to hear it from you. The second thing is this. Who are the people in your life that you're building relationships with in order to show them Christ? Christ. 